to player, ain't no comparison. Team chemistry was the reason the Pistons had put themselves in a hole. So Isaiah set up a meeting to give his old friend a chance to meet the guys. I said, hey, look, you're not going to come in here and screw this thing up. We have a very good situation. You got to play defense. We don't need all that offense. You gotta, this is how we play. You know, Mark, I've never been a fan of you, but Isaiah vouches for you. So here are the rules and here's how we do business. Okay, you're pissed and all of that, man. Look, throw the balls out. Let's do what we gotta do. That's all I'm here for, winning the title. That's it. 
to have you on one of these. Your brothers have kind of had uh, a couple of little snippets on podcasts before, but you are kind of the first family member to have a whole a po- episode co-host. Yes, yes. So are, are, do you feel privileged? Of course. Okay. All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, so there, there's a lot of things, and, and I don't know how we'll handle this one compared to, to the linear lineup of, mm-hmm. of, the, um, of the Hollywood movie. Um, you know, the documentaries are a little bit different. The categories kind of fit. There's some things that fit in the categories, uh, there's, uh, that be- fit better in the categories than others. So we'll just kind of go through it and kind of wherever we go, that's where we go. All right, honey. Okay. Okay. Um, just your overall, your overall thoughts. Let's just, let's just start there. Your overall thoughts. Um, kind of like what I said earlier, it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, it was, I think it was the first sports documentary I ever watched because I remember we watched it in your classroom with your team and it was just one that I think I'll always remember. Okay. Um, why do you think it kind of hooked you in? Um, I think like the bad boy reputation Mm -hmm. and like just some of the, I don't, I don't know if I want to say plot points, but some of the scenes in um in the documentary it's just always like whenever i thought about a basketball documentary i always thought about i think bad boys was always the first one that i always thought about uh-huh. that doesn't mean you're gonna like date bad boys or anything like that <laughs> no. Right? okay no i don't think so okay better not <laughs> or else i'll have to go my horn on them okay um you know a little bit about the history of the game, mm-hmm. you know, in the 80s. And, and again, you've, you've learned a lot about the history of the game through these basketball documentaries. Mm-hmm. You've got the Lakers and the Celtics with their uh, big rivalry in the 80s. And then in the 90s, it's dominated by Jordan and the Bulls. Mm-hmm. But as it kind of says at the end of the documentary, it, you know, for these two years, this team mm-hmm. was the dominant team in the, in the NBA, you know. Uh, did you realize that before you started watching any of this? Um, well, obviously, since they won championships, then they're obviously um, very prominent in the history of the NBA. But like when we watch documentaries together, I always ask you, because you basically lived it, I ask you, was it really like this? Like, were they as prominent as these commentators are saying. Uh So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, they were, you know, (laughs) they were. Um, And and I think, you know, the the older I get, uh, at the time, I'm going to be honest with you, I hated the Pistons. Mm -hmm. I was a Bulls guy. I was a Jordan guy, as were most people. Um, I really, I really, it was kind of ironic because it was, when the Pistons started rising up, they were like, okay, this kind of cute little story, you know, somebody that's going to battle mm-hmm. against the Celtics and, and maybe beat the Celtics. Um, and then once the kind of, once they kind of got into the whole bad boys thing, uh, it, they were hard to like uh, at the time for me, mm-hmm. for me. Um, and again, I was, I was a Jordan guy. I was a Pippen guy. The, the, um, and so I, uh, I didn't, you know, but as the, the the older I get, the more I respect them as a team for who they were and what they were willing to do 
for one another and kind of the 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 team aspect that they were able to close ranks around one another and and develop this bond that mm -hmm. took them to two world championships mm -hmm. um well okay so let's jump into um how often should you rewatch this documentary maybe once a season like mm -hmm. especially when you have newer kids because basically i think that the like message of it is like mental toughness and like to teach your players that there will be times when you you fall short no matter how hard you try you're gonna fall short and there are gonna be times that you fail and i think that's an important thing for not only like basketball players but for everybody to learn is that there are going to be times that you fail and I think once you start out in a season you need to come to terms with that mm -hmm. and use it to push forward yeah I mean at every class or every level let's say you know in high school let's say in Nebraska there's only six really really happy basketball teams at the end of the year mm -hmm. you know that are that are reached that pinnacle and uh, you know, we'll kind of get into the heartbreak that the Pistons went through to b before they became champions. And and today they call uh, uh, the the term I started hearing this spring uh, with the NBA stuff is is playoff scars. And they had more than enough scars to uh, last a lifetime before they finally reached that. But like you said, the, them continuing to fight and to battle to reach that end point uh was was really really cool to watch mm -hmm. with some which with some perspective now don't you mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. yeah yeah um all right your favorite scenes your favorite scene i'm gonna go i'm gonna throw out a few of my favorite scenes okay. so we'll kind of alternate on okay. this okay so um i liked and i and i can't remember uh, the exact order of these here, and I have to move this away from my face a little bit because I can't, <laughs> I can't see. I got to go to the eye doctor this afternoon. Uh, I like the the little minute or two scene about the acquisition of Bill Lambeer and mm -hmm. talking about how uh, Jack McCloskey saw Lambeer play, and and that's the type of guy that he needed. Mm -hmm. um, I liked um, the scene. I, I think kind of the most fascinating scene. Um, was uh, when the Pistons decided to trade Adrian Dantley for Mark Aguirre. Uh, that was a, a really, really big trade at the time mm -hmm. uh, because the Pistons had gotten so close to um, to winning the championship the year before, and now they were trading their what a lot of people thought was their second-best player behind Isaiah uh, for, for another player right in the middle of the season. Um I loved, this is, this is me, mm -hmm. this is me, uh, I loved the usage of the Public Enemy music as, mm -hmm. as a, uh, I'm not a big rap music or hip hop fan, mm -hmm. but if, you, if I had to pick one group that I loved as a kid, it was Public Enemy, and so when they're using Fight the Power uh, throughout the film, oh, that was awesome, mm -hmm. that was awesome. Uh, the Jordan rules, them talking about the Jordan rules, I thought was really, really interesting. Um, Isaiah Thomas and game six of the NBA finals. I thought that was very well told. And then a sad scene, but nonetheless, uh, an interesting scene, uh, was when they talked about how Joe Dumars lost his father right in the middle of the NBA finals when they played Portland. Mm -hmm. So, 
were any of those scenes on your list? Uh, yeah, the very first one before I even started uh, doing my like rewatch to figure out what I wanted to talk about, the first thing I put was Joe Dumar's dad dying, because again, when I first watch it, that was the like kind of the defining moment. That's how I always remembered it was Joe Dumar's dad dying and him not even finding out until after, after the, game. the game. Yeah. Um, Jordan rules. I had that down, especially after watching it um, from the perspective of seeing it from the perspective of the Pistons and the bad boys and also seeing it from the perspective of the bulls in the mm-hmm. last dance. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a really um, interesting kind of, differentiating point of views yeah yeah there's 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 a different story everybody's got Mm -hmm. their own story behind it and and you see it from the pistons point of view you see it from the bulls point of view Mm -hmm. and a lot of people side with the bulls but here's hey here's what we had to do to be the best player in the world this is how we had to do it yeah um another one i had was bill lambeer's physical and like mental battle against the trailblazers Mm -hmm. in the uh, 1990 finals. Uh-huh. I thought that was really cool, and just Bill Lambeer's and Rick Mahorn's them working together and like defeating. What do you think about uh, Bill Lambeer getting punched in the face like 200 times in four seconds by Robert Parrish? He, Did like, he deserve it? Yeah, kind of. Like, kind of. Well, when you watch it from like in the Bad Boys, it's like. It's what they had to do to win, but at the same time, if I was Parrish, I I think I would have beat him harder. <laughs> <laughs> I would be over and done with that. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what else? Did you know that he didn't even get kicked out of the game? Yeah, they said no ejections were made. No ejections, yeah. yeah. Today he'd be suspended for two weeks for doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so you you want to know why your dad's so tough. That's the way we grew <laughs> up in the 80s. So, <laughs> what else? Um, well, not even, like, the... I put finally winning against the Celtics in 87 and 88, even though they didn't even win the championship that year. Mm-hmm. It was still such a big thing for them, and it was such... A big step. Yeah, it was something that they needed to know, like, okay, we can beat the Celtics, so we can definitely beat whoever we have coming next. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another one I had was going through downtown uh, Detroit after winning in 1989. Uh Um, Because at the beginning they talked about what downtown Detroit had gone through in Uh uh, the the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, so then seeing it... 22 years later in an act of the whole city coming together to celebrate something that they felt represented all of them. Mm-hmm. Any other favorite scenes? Or is that it? Um, That's it? I had Isaiah pushing through his ankle injury. Okay, so which ones do we have in common? Uh, Jordan Rules, uh-huh. Joe Dumar's dad, uh-huh. and then... Game six. Oh, yeah, game six. Game six. So, since those three were both on our list. Mm -hmm. Oh, I also had kind of the bad boys transformation, Mm -hmm. you know, where where they started getting the Oakland Raiders stuff, and they just kind of embraced Mm -hmm. their identity. Um, I thought that was a good scene as well, too, or that, that, yeah, that series of of cuts. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the Jordan rules. Mm -hmm. Probably, if, if you, if you force me to pick, uh, the, the ones that we have in common, the Jordan rules would probably be my favorite. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 
Okay. All right. So that's officially our favorite scene. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, not very many bad scenes in this. Yeah, there were just scenes that, like, watching it. What I put for my worst scenes was like things that when I was watching it, I was like, I would feel like absolute crap if that happened. If I was okay. in their place, that's what I put. Like okay. that's the perspective I chose. And so, what what was that? Um. First one I had was trading Adrian Danley. Um, okay. I like just the animosity between Isaiah and Adrian, and how Adrian felt like he was absolutely betrayed by the whole organization. Mm-hmm. And then the Rick Mahorn trade in the expansion, or that, not really that. trade, it was his like, being picked up by the Timberwolves. Um, I would just feel like absolute crap if I was Rick because he said. I think he said he wanted to be the guy to defend it, to uh-huh. defend the, the title. Uh-huh. And I was just, I don't know, I would not want to be him. No, that that was that was my top one, mm-hmm. um, was, you know, you, you could just still see, you know, this was made in 2014 <laughs> or 2015, whenever it mm-hmm. was made. Um, and you could still see the pain that he had mm-hmm. from from being the, the odd man out. Yeah, he still got emotional. Yeah, he still got emotional about it, and I, and I don't blame him. I mean, there was an obvious bond between these players, this team, mm-hmm. and and he uh, he was a huge part of that. Uh, him and Lane Beer kind of set that tone, and and uh, you know, but at the time, I remember thinking that's the right move. If mm-hmm. if you know. Because uh, you're not going to get rid of Rodman. You're not going to get rid of Sally because they're young. You're not going to get rid of Isaiah. You're not going to get rid of Dumars. You're not going to get rid of Lane Beer. Uh, Vinny Johnson was the microwave coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. You, you got Mark Aguirre that you just, you know, so I mean, mm-hmm. it was just a numbers game. And, and that's what they had to do. But that that was my, that was, and I don't think there's any bad scenes in this documentary. No. But that was, for me, the hardest one to watch. Mm-hmm. Um. Another one I had was Isaiah Thomas throwing the ball right to Larry Bird in the 87 playoffs. Um, they had, like, I think less than 10 oh. seconds. Oh, yeah, five seconds left. Yeah, yep. they, he wanted to call a timeout, but nobody was calling for it. Yeah. And so he just went to the sideline, threw it right at Larry yeah. Bird. Yeah, Johnny Most on the call. Wow, there's a steal mm-hmm. by Bird underneath the DJ. He lays it in. Oh, I loved his announcing. Yeah. Well, he also drank like probably <laughs> eight scotches a day and smoked about four packs a day. So I really don't think you want your voice to end up like that. <laughs> no, it's just he was so funny. Like there was one at one point, obviously it's like two players are fighting. It's it's the Pistons. And he starts going, oh, the rambunctious way they do things here. <laughs> or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so, Mahorn, should we go with that with the worst scene? The Mahorn yeah. being taken in the expansion draft? I also had, like, walking off uh, okay. the bulls. Okay, so let's... I think uh, Mahorn. Okay, so um, let's take a break, and we're going to come back to that particular stuff there okay coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet as many of you know i spent two years outside of coaching and during that time i hung a note card in my workspace at school that said strip the house down to the studs i took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program as i prepared for the possibility of coaching again 
I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. So one of the things about the pistons, and and I put down just a bunch of stuff going back through this. Um, they have a complicated legacy in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Some of it is understandable. Uh, as a basketball coach, I understand that every team has its identity and they have to play to their strengths. And so, but a lot of it is really complicated stuff. And a lot of that complicated stuff was in some ways really self-inflicted and perhaps nobody had more self-inflicted accidents or self-inflicted injuries per se, not real injuries, Mm -hmm. but just self-inflicted damage done to himself than Isaiah Thomas. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're obviously way too young to watch (laughs) Isaiah Thomas play. I was obviously, I was growing up in the heyday of Isaiah Thomas. Uh, We've never really talked about it. Mm -hmm. Your feelings on Isaiah Thomas. Um, I don't think, especially since I never saw him play, I don't necessarily have a bad opinion on him. Um, I'm sure if you see it from, like, a different uh, player's perspective, there's, like, everybody has a different perspective, but for me personally, it's, I have a pretty good opinion of him. Okay. Like, he came from nothing. Yeah. Like, not exactly nothing, but... From uh, not very good... Very tough background. Yeah, very tough childhood to, you know, leading the Hoosiers to a championship Correct. and then being picked second. Mm-hmm. And just being able to come from something like that and being able to become, you know, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Like, Hall of Famer. One yeah, of the best point like, guards ever. Yep. Like, when you think Isaiah Thomas, like, Mm -hmm. obviously something Mm -hmm. very prominent comes to your mind. Yes. So. However, however, okay, let's, let's go, let's go down the, uh, let's go down the, the, the ledger here. Obviously, Mm -hmm. a lot of people saw him as the ringleader of the Pistons, uh, the bad boy image. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that there were there was a perception that Isaiah was kind of like the Godfather, like mm-hmm. he was he was ordering the hits, and he would let Lame Beer and Mahorn and Rodman and Sally do his dirty work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the comments that he made about Larry Bird mm-hmm. uh, in '87. That not his comments, but he was agreeing with yeah, with Rodman. Rodman. Uh, you know, if, if he was black, he'd be just another good player mm-hmm. type of a thing. Um, and then, of course, we have the walk-off mm-hmm. in, in 1991. Now, uh, he 
and the rest of the Pistons claim that they were just doing what the Celtics did to them in 1988. However, mm-hmm. did you see any differences between the two walk-offs? Yeah, uh, the Pistons, they just left, but with the Celtics walking off, there was some respect, and it was like a passing of the torch, but I feel like kind of with the Pistons walking off, it was just like, okay, it was. I felt like it was childish, like, mm-hmm. uh, like they were, obviously there's some reason to be upset, but... Mm-hmm. There was a certain level of respect that the Celtics had given to the Pistons. Like, yeah. you have beaten us, yeah, and that's it. And Mikhail was out there shaking hands with Isaiah mm-hmm. out in the middle of the floor as he walked off. And I think Bird did the same thing to yeah. a couple of guys and that type of thing. Um, did the dip by Isaiah, did that make it look even worse? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like he, when you see it just like as that video... Or as that film, you see it as Isaiah's knows exactly what he's doing and what kind of image he's putting out. And he knows it's wrong. Yeah, he knows exactly what he's doing. But I'm getting, I'm kind of hiding behind these other guys. Yeah. Yeah, and and for for some people during this time period, that was kind of their perception mm-hmm. of of Isaiah. Um, no doubt, a great player. Um, yeah. He, you know, uh, and again. Obviously, you don't know this, but in the 80s, in the All-Star Games, you know, Magic Johnson was on the West team, Isaiah was on the East team, and they were the two guys that controlled the entire game, and they were making the great passes and picking up the pace and Mm -hmm. doing all of this stuff. Um, And so, you know, he, he can't, you know, a lot of people believe he was, at the time, you know, probably the second best point guard of, of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, during his after he retired, uh, it kind of you know most people would say Magic, Isaiah, and then you go maybe Oscar Robertson. It depends on how you want to classify Jerry West, um, you know, and then like a Steve Nash is kind of on that next level behind Isaiah. Obviously, over the last few months, I think in a lot of people's minds, Steph Curry has kind of leapfrogged Isaiah. In the in the pyramid standings, as mm-hmm. as as Bill Simmons would say, um, but you know what is your uh, you know what is Isaiah? What should be now again? And there's some other things that happened with Isaiah too after he retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the coach of the Toronto Raptors. He was the coach of the Indiana Pacers. Um, he um, became the president of the New York Knicks, and there was some scandals there. Uh, he became the head of what was known as the Continental Basketball Association, which um, it was the precursor of what we call the G League today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that went bankrupt under his leadership. The Knicks had a lot of issues on and off the floor with Isaiah as their coach and general manager or coach and president. I forget his mm-hmm. official title name. So I, I think he has such a, a complicated legacy mm-hmm. in the history of the game Um you know, how, how, how should, from, from somebody who is now kind of learning the history of all of this, what, what do you think people should see or how they should see Isaiah in the history of the game? Well, you definitely don't want to turn a blind eye to 
the things he did after he was done. Mm -hmm. But when you look at his basketball career, I mean, there's a certain level of respect you have to give to him. Mm -hmm. He, people, you know, it wasn't Dennis Rodman getting in trouble for that comment as Uh. much as Isaiah getting all that attention because he was, because he had that image and he had that great, you know, like, I am Isaiah Thomas and like, he has credit for the walk-off, but it was actually Bill Lambeer. But when you have to give him the credit that he was that powerful enough of a player and a figure. A leader. Yeah. You have to give him that credit that people, not that they think him capable of, but he gets, like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he has that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. Um. And definitely, like, obviously, he's a great basketball player, mm-hmm. like, very yeah. prominent in the well, history. you know, he led the league in assists multiple times. Um, he could have scored a lot more than what he did in his career, but he was, in some ways, kind of the old-school point guard. I'm supposed to get everybody else involved, and then when mm-hmm. we need for me to take over, then I can take over, but I really don't want to take over. You know, he averaged less than 20 points a game for his career. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask you this question. Do you think the documentary treated Isaiah Thomas fairly? It definitely gave him a more glowing reputation than, you know, when it was made. We know all these things about what he's done Mm -hmm. after he was done with basketball. But... It definitely, I mean, it was interesting having players from other teams open and from the Pistons saying, openly saying, I did not like Isaiah Thomas. I could not stand him. Mm-hmm. Um, even like Adrian Dantley, like being open about those things that happened with Isaiah, I think was definitely good to have those differing perspectives. But I think it definitely painted him a little higher. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. If I don't know, like I just think it, yeah. You know, gave him a higher pedestal. Mm-hmm. Should he have been on the '92 Dream Team? Mm. Thinking about it from now, if I think if he would have been on the Dream Team, that I don't think they would have, you know, won the gold. Well, I think they still would have won. Well, yeah, because they still had all that talent. But I think it would definitely. I don't know if it would be the dream team because you have like Michael Jordan absolutely does not like Isaiah Thomas and would not have played if Isaiah yeah. was on the team and he was he he was critical to mm-hmm. winning so I think there would have definitely been some you know some arguments maybe on the court definitely off the court mm-hmm. so I think that definitely would have affected how the dream team is remembered well and I think that it's kind of ironic is one of the big reasons for the success of the Pistons was their chemistry as a team. Mm-hmm. And a big reason why Isaiah was left off the dream team is because he would have disrupted the entire chemistry of the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jordan would have played, like I said, Jordan would have played, Pippen would have played, would not have played. Uh, I don't think Carl Malone would have played. Um, I, I don't know how many other ones mm-hmm. down the line. It probably would have been tough for Larry Bird to have played. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't want to speak for those guys. Larry, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I speak for you there. Uh, but, um, 
it, it definitely, at the very least, we could definitely say Isaiah has a complicated legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, the best line in the film. The best line in the film. I think it's my turn to start here. Okay. So uh, here were some of my favorite lines in the movie. Uh, when they called Chuck Daly Daddy Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that was funny. Um, we didn't, uh, John Sally said, we didn't get into a fight with the Bulls. Rick Mahorn got into a fight with the entire Entirely. Bulls organization. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah said, not only did we want to dominate you physically, we wanted to crush you mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is an admirable trait for any team to have. Um, when Lame Beer got called for the foul on Kareem uh, mm-hmm. at the end of game six of the 88 finals, and I forget who said it, but uh, he got called because he pushed uh, the 2,000 times before. <laughs> um, Lame Beer, uh, when the Bulls finally beat him, he was in the, they were interviewing him and he just kept saying, they, they won. won. Mm-hmm. They won. And then, um, and I think this is uh, kind of going back to the complicated legacy of this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Ebersall, at the, when, when, the, when the Pistons walked off, uh, great champions conduct themselves like champions, and these guys conduct, conducted themselves like street yard bullies. So sure. those were uh, those are my nominees for the best quote of the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, which ones did you have that were in common? Any ones that I missed? Um, well, I just thought of one of them when you talked about Bill and Beer. It was with the Trailblazers, and they're like, you know, you haven't won against the Trailblazers in however many years. and Or 17 years it was. Yeah. And Bill Ambeer goes, uh, like we remember the things that happened like 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. And then um, Isaiah Thomas said, if you have the ball, you control the movements of nine other people. Um, mm-hmm. And then Bill Ambeer said, I can be the best person on the basketball court because I outfought the other players. Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah Thomas with, okay, we'll be like the old Oakland Raiders, say hello to the bad boys. Mm-hmm. I I, just, I love it when he's just in that interview and he just goes, okay, yeah. we'll say hello to the bad boys. Yeah, then you kind of sounded like Isaiah <laughs> right there. I tried. Yeah, you tried. Um, <laughs> and then at the end, when, like the very last thing that the narrator says... If you still can't stand them, still don't respect them, well, guess what? They don't really give up. And then they cut it off with the music. Right into yeah. Public Enemy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Those are mine. Okay. So, a lot of good quotes. We didn't really have anything in common, no. but I, I like yours. I Did you like mine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, all of those yeah. are our favorite quotes from the documentary. Um, some of your other favorite storylines. What what are you know other than kind of some of the stuff that we've talked about so far? What were just in storylines as you learned about this team? What were some other things that you liked? I definitely like Dennis Rodman's storyline. Uh, I think I'll always like I'll always like Dennis Rodman. Like from being he also didn't have a good childhood, and then he was a janitor, and then he grew like some six inches or something, yeah. and then and then he became a piston Mm -hmm. and he had that great relationship with chuck daly Mm -hmm. and then after all that was over he still had like 
this incredible career with the Bulls and mm-hmm. has like I don't know like six championships. He won five championships five altogether. Championships. Five championships. Yeah. Uh, two with the Pistons, three with the Bulls, I believe. Um, I think one of the things that every everybody remembers Rodman for what he did with the Bulls because I mean that that was that was Harry Styles plus the Beatles. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoy the Harry Styles Thank reference. You. I do. Okay. Harry Styles plus the Beatles. Uh, plus Will Smith. I mean, the, the celebrity. That was the most mm-hmm. famous sports team. The the only thing that's close to it would be like the Warriors. The last few years. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as just the fame, and even then, I don't know if I don't know if there's ever been a more famous team than those. The the second three peat of the Bulls. Um, but he was a much better player when he was with the Pistons. He was mm-hmm. he was he was much more athletic. Uh, he was. Uh, springier. He actually looked to score a little bit. Uh, uh, he wasn't this attention-seeking guy that he became after they traded him to the Spurs and uh, and all this other crap that that went on mm-hmm. in his in his career. And I think one of the things that I really like about this documentary is showing how important uh, and how good he was as a player earlier in his career and i mm-hmm. think that's i think that people people remember him from the bulls but because of the character he became mm-hmm. not to say that he wasn't still a very he was a very good player during the bulls run but he was a much better player in his let's say third or fourth year with the pistons mm-hmm. um any other storylines um like i said earlier i said i wrote like isaiah I I thought, like, his, you know, basically, like, 0 to 100 uh-huh. was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Being, like, the leader. Like, like there was one part, and it was, like, uh, Adrian Dantley. It was right before he got traded. And I don't remember who said it, but they were, like, Adrian Dantley wanted it to be adrian's team but it was never going to be adrian's team it was always going to be isaiah's team i think dumar said that maybe i can't remember but you're right yeah Yeah, i remember the quote yeah yeah um okay uh best coaching advice um well all i put for that one because obviously i'm not the you know the best coach let alone a coach at all come on jenny (laughs) I just put a quote from Chuck Daly. It was when they were going to play the Celtics, I think. And he said, they make you a better person and a better player if you're going to go through them. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and you kind of talked about this earlier, um, one of the great lessons, and, and I think this is kind of forgotten. Again, we, we talked about this a little bit, but today in the NBA, it's different because uh, – Teams clear off cap space. They sign two free agents. Like let's say again, mm-hmm. let's let's say the Heat um, when they got LeBron and Chris Bosh, and they went from an average team, and because they signed these two guys, all of a sudden they're championship contenders and they win two championships. You know, it used to be back in the NBA that you had to work your way up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to go through things, um, and it was it was a long drawn out process to try and win a championship you know Isaiah didn't qualify for the playoffs for his first uh three or four years in the league then he got to the playoffs and they lost to the Knicks in 84 
84 or something like that, or 84 or 85, something, where, where he had the big shootout with Bernard King. You're, mm-hmm. You probably barely remember this from the documentary, but I remember when it happened. I'm dating myself here a little bit, daughter. <laughs> um, and, and, and the Pistons went through this process, you know, uh, they lost a couple of times in the playoffs. And then they finally got to the conference finals. And, of course, they lost to the conference finals in the Celtics. Then they finally beat the Celtics the next year. But then they lost in a heartbreaking fashion to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And then the, finally the next year they finally got over that hump. So, you know, the Trailblazers went through that process. The Bulls went through that process trying to get through the Pistons. And now you, you have teams like the, the Nets went from average to they were supposed to be really good because they signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving uh, all at once. You know, kind of the the closest thing to this, and a lot of people forget about this, is the Warriors. The first two or three years that they made the playoffs, they got beat in like the first round or they got beat in the conference semifinals. And then they finally broke through and won their first championship. Um, You know, and and there was a process to that. Uh, I, I think that part of the Pistons story is kind of forgotten in the modern NBA that you, you, you just can't, uh, it used to be that a, a building a championship team was a four or five year process. Whereas now today, if you're in the right city with enough money, you can sign one or two guys and completely change the face of your mm-hmm. franchise and go from a 25, 30, 35 win team to a 50, 55, 60 win team and have a chance to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how about, uh, I thought the best coaching advice was uh, Chuck Daly just let Dennis Rodman be Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about their relationship? Well, he definitely needed to, I think it was very good for him. Like, I think at one point they said, like, Chuck Daly was the father figure that he needed to excel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think definitely letting Dennis Rodman be himself Obviously, he didn't become that, like, character that he did with the Bulls, you mm-hmm. know. He wasn't that character until pretty much after. Um, after he got let go from the... Or after the Pistons traded him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think letting him be, like, who he needed to be, let him be who the Pistons needed on the court. Mm-hmm. And him being okay with being the sixth man was and then being brought to the starting lineup it's like the push of confidence that he needed and having Chuck Daly and the other players on the team have that confidence in him let him have the confidence in himself mm-hmm. to let him be the bless the best player he can be and to excel for the team and with the team yeah uh i thought it was interesting he asked for permission to start mm. oh yeah you remember that Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, you know, would you ever have ever thought, knowing the way Rodman was towards the end of his career, that when he was younger, he was like, are you sure it's okay for me to start? Oh, yeah. Who was it? It was like, uh, I don't remember who it was, but he was like, you would never believe it, but I was the rambunctious Sally. one. Yeah, Sally. I was the rambunctious one with Dennis, and he was the quiet, like, stoic one. Yeah. So... We, we all change a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, we, we all change, all right? <laughs> Not all of us go to the WWE. <laughs> but. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, I, I got turned down for a tryout. You were that close. I was. I was that close. So I decided to get into podcasting instead. Yeah, yeah it's next best thing. Next, next best thing. All right. 
Should we take a break? Sure. Okay. Coaches, I love doing a pen and a napkin. It is something that was intended to become a hobby, but it has become a passion and a blessing in my life. I love helping coaches, and I hope that I've been able to help you in some way, shape, or form. I want to do more, but I need your help to do that. I've recently opened up a Patreon page to help a pen and a napkin grow even further, and I'd appreciate any help that you would be willing to give to a pen and a napkin. From the layup tier, and for as little as $3 a month, to the three-point tier, your generosity will enable a pen and a napkin to grow and develop even greater projects than we've already done. For more information, go to apenandanapkin.com and go to the Patreon link, or go to patreon.com backslash apenandanapkin. Okay, so basketball lessons learned. What are things that you learned, per se, or that, that we should learn mm-hmm. as, as basketball coaches, as basketball fans? What are basketball lessons learned from watching this documentary? Um, well, like I said earlier, you're going to fail. Like... You know, like we talked about, they were just close in 87, and then they were a little closer in 88 until they finally made that push in 89. But they, what you have to know is that you're going to fail at some point, and even though that feels like, like that's it, like that's the end, what would the Pistons have done if in 87 they just like, you know, wiped their hands clean and said, okay, well then we can't do anything. Uh-huh. Then they wouldn't have become... The Detroit were. Pistons. Yeah. Um, so basically, like, perseverance through uh-huh. failure. Yeah. The process. Yeah. Yes, the process and getting over the hump. Yep. And then the second thing I put was mental toughness. Because no matter what physical aspects your team has and what players bring what to the table, one of the things that you need is to have that mental toughness on and off the court. Because, like with failing, you're going to have to persevere and you're going to have to understand that there are things that are going to happen and you just need to push through it. Mm-hmm. And that mental toughness is also essential in addition to physical toughness mm-hmm. in a team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I literally have on here, you see this right here? What's that say? Mental toughness. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, great minds thing alike. Literally. High five. All right. Um, I think that uh, a couple of things to add on, and I really like your points. All right. Um, I think that on most teams, not every team, um, you, you want to have a hierarchy without having a hierarchy. So for example, on the Pistons, Mm -hmm. it was Isaiah was at the top. And then as it turned out, like lame beer was kind of the next most important guy. And then... You know, then it was Dumars, Rodman, Sally, let's say. And then and then it was Vinnie Johnson and, and James Edwards, and, you know, and, and Aguirre or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when they won championships, I should say. Uh, let me amend that, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with, with a lot of teams, um, there is that hierarchy or what, we, what a lot of people call role acceptance. And when, when did things start to fall apart for them? When Adrian Dantley no longer accepted his role as, you know, mm-hmm. this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm here to bring. Uh, you know, I and, and I think kind of the hardest thing um, 
for any coach to deal with is when older players on your team don't play as much as what they would like um, or what they think that they should. For us as high school coaches, when you have seniors, let's say, that don't play as much as what they believe they should be playing, that's when a lot of our chemistry issues come into play. Uh, the hardest thing to coach at the professional level, from what I hear, I don't know, never been a professional mm-hmm. coach, but the you know the the aging star is the hardest thing to coach at the professional level, and that's mm-hmm. what Adrian Dantley was. Dennis Rodman was just doing things that more fit that team than what Adrian Dantley was, and as fate would have it, I actually looked it up. He was out of the NBA within about two years after he was traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for you know, he got hurt. He did get hurt. I think he broke one of his legs, uh, broke the small bone in one of his legs. Uh, but you know, uh, he did not accept his role. And I think that one of the things that you have to give the Pistons a lot of credit for is the way that each player on that team accepted their roles. Um, they knew what they were supposed to do. They knew what, you know, it's it's just like with you and uh, the drama stuff that you've been in, uh, the one-act plays and the musicals and stuff, you know. I meant like social drama. No, not, so, not social drama. No, not social drama. Uh, that's for another podcast at another time, okay? Not that you've had very little social drama in your life, all things considered. For an 18-year-old teenage girl. Yeah. I thought you meant like accepting what I had like gone through with like friends and stuff. Oh no, no. Like, but it, the roles in in like the musicals mm-hmm. and stuff, yeah. you know, there can only be one or two stars of every production, and then 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 there's another supporting group of actors, and then, then there's background characters. Ensemble. Yeah, the ensemble, mm-hmm. and and the biggest part of any production is the ensemble. Right, Mm -hmm. but they have the least amount to do, but it's the biggest part, you know, Uh, or it's the highest number, I should Mm -hmm. say. And a basketball team or a football team or any type of sports team is, is in many ways, kind of similar to that, don't you think? Yep. As you take a big drink of coffee, as I ask you that question. Yeah. Um. And like one of the, I've been in an ensemble before, so to compare that to being like on the bench, Mm -hmm. like. You have to, when you're in the ensemble, you have to, because there are going to be things that you do that people don't notice. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to take stuff off the stage, and you have to, you know, help somebody with a quick change or something. So, it's when you're on the bench, you have to be prepared to do things for the team that people won't notice. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared to be that person that is going to help people in the starting lineup excel you're gonna have Mm -hmm. to be that person for other people and that's something that you might have to accept before you can excel as a player yourself Mm -hmm. absolutely um i think that uh, a couple other things uh kind of in that same vein not every personality needs to be the same for the team to have success Mm -hmm. you know i mean lame beer was lame beer isaiah was isaiah you know, John Sally was the guy that was hanging out with Arsenio Hall. He was mm-hmm. kind of, in some ways, kind of the the most not not he was the most connected with uh, Hollywood and entertainment and stuff like that of of any of these guys. Vinny Johnson never said a word. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Dumars never said a word. Mm-hmm. Lame Beer was obnoxious, though. <laughs> I mean, and people, you can't, honey, I can't describe to you the <laughs> amount of sports hate 
that was dished out to Bill Lane Beer in his playing career. Um, you know, so I, 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 I think that it's up to us as coaches. And I think one of the things that Chuck Daly, uh, Chuck Daly was never accused of being a, a basketball savant when it came to the X's and O's of the mm-hmm. game. But I think one of the things that Chuck Daly, he, and maybe it's the most important job we have as coaches, is the management of personalities mm-hmm. and bringing all of these different personalities together into a cohesive team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, seeing the variety of personalities and, like, they, one of the big things about what made the Pistons the Pistons was not only their, like, success, but they were all so close and they were so bonded together because of what they had been through. Mm-hmm. And so, bringing those different types of personalities and getting them to work together to create that much success is something that not mm-hmm. a lot of people can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing on the basketball lessons learned, uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to maintain excellence. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they pointed it out toward the end of the documentary. I mean, they had five years of essentially championship runs yeah. and or close to championship runs. And uh, it is it is hard to keep that mental and physical um, edge mm-hmm. uh, for that long of a time. You know, you in your lifetime, you just saw it uh, with the Warriors, where they had this huge five-year run. They were in the finals five years in a mm-hmm. row. And then, of course, you know, Kevin Durant left, and Clay Thompson got hurt, and Steph Curry got hurt. So, I mean, there's you, you lose your three best players. Obviously, yeah. you're going to take a drastic step backwards. But they even said... You know, we're just exhausted. Mm-hmm. We're we're just really, really tired, and that's part of the reason why. Not the entire reason, but that's part of the reason why Toronto was able to get over that hump against them. Again, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant got hurt in the finals. Clay uh, Thompson got hurt. You know, so forth and so on. Um, but having that, and, and whatever career that you decide to get into, um, you know, maintaining that edge of excellence is so hard to do mm-hmm. a, uh, over a long period of time. And I think that's another basketball lesson learned from, from watching this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love watching uh, burnout. Not that it's a good thing, but I I like watching not only sports documentaries, but just when people experience burnout. And I they usually take it two different ways. It's It's they accept it and then they're done or they persevere through it and they achieve something greater. So mm-hmm. like when you see Michael Jordan, for example, he was completely burnt out. He felt like he had nothing left to give. Mm-hmm. And so him leaving also had to do with his dad dying, mm-hmm. but he left, he experienced something new and realized I still have something I can give. And he persevered through that burnout he was feeling, uh-huh. and he ended up getting to do incredible things with the uh-huh. Bulls. Yeah. But like with um, the Pistons, it was two great years where they were, you know, they were the rebels of the league, and they were these like underdogs in some way. And they, yeah, it's hard to maintain that kind of excellence uh-huh. after you've already achieved, like, because they won two years in a row. Uh-huh. And to have to maintain that is so difficult and have to also persevere through burnout was just, like, 
one uh-huh. path that they take uh-huh. in experiencing burnout and they were just done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you saw your dad go through it a little bit. Yeah. With coaches burnout as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody experiences burnout in some aspect of their life I at think some so. point. I think I, I, I think it is I think it's it's hard to it's hard to keep going. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. And and uh, some people are able to do it. You know, Coach K, yeah. you know, as an extreme example, I mean, he was at Duke for 41, 42 years, whatever it was, yeah. you know. So um, how can this documentary help you help your team win games, Genevieve? First thing I put was hard work. Um, also kind of like perseverance because, again, they went through three years where they were just barely um just barely champions two Mm -hmm. two or three years they were just barely champions and you know like i said earlier they didn't just wipe their hands clean and say okay well there's nothing we can do we lost this year we let's just give up like let's not even try to win again but no they kept watching like the celtics and they kept thinking about how they could beat them because they knew that at some point they were going to get to play the Celtics in a high-stakes game. Mm-hmm. So they were prepared for um, playing against them, and they did that hard work um, and, you know, the trading and everything, and they all worked together, yep. and they, you know, coordinated, like, Jordan rules, this, yep. that, and the other thing. Oh. Everybody was on the same page. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, the second one I had was have fun because certainly they had some fun on the court with you know throwing elbows. Yeah, uh, throwing bows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I remember from the documentary was I think Chuck Daly said it to Isaiah Thomas, and he said, "I have a question for you. Do you want to win or do you want to have fun?" And I think that was something he needed to face. But at the same time, there's a way that you can win and have fun. You can do both. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at that level, it's a little bit more you know, cutthroat. Pay, paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 you're playing for massive this, amounts of yeah, monies and historical status. You know, with what your dad does, it's a little bit more of, yeah, we can win. And we should be having fun when you're yeah. talking about teenagers playing a child's game. Mm-hmm. So. But I, but I understand the point that you're making. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the last one I had was um, embrace, which basically meant, like, embrace, like, the Pistons, they embraced their image. They said, okay, we'll be the bad boys. But also, at, like, obviously, because lower teams aren't going to have this insane image mm-hmm. um, on, like, a national level. But it's basically meant to embrace what you have like embrace the players you have and the abilities that your players have Mm -hmm. and use that to build on instead of like being like okay this is horrible i'm not even gonna try to win anything or like you know not put any effort in but basically embrace what you have and the abilities you're given as a team and use that to build on and to excel yeah you know, uh, every great team has an identity. Mm-hmm. You know, and their identity, for better or worse, was we are the bad boys. Mm-hmm. And and once they really decided to embrace that and not fight it, that is when they finally achieved championship 
champion for better or worse. And again, yeah. some people would say for worse <laughs> because for, you know, I mean, especially from about nine, you know, for about 12 years, the NBA at times was really, really hard to watch. I mean, mm-hmm. do you remember like a lot of the final scores of the last dance games were like 80 to 76? Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, and just like, ugh, you know, you, you were talking about Rodman being on WW, <laughs> WWE or whatever. And, yeah. you know, it was kind of the equivalent of that from a basketball point of view. So, um, but, you know, I've coached teams that have had to play really, really slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's who we were, and we needed to embrace that identity. Uh, I've I've been fortunate enough to coach teams that have been really, really fast, and hopefully, mm-hmm. starting with this year's edition of your dad's team, hopefully we could play a lot faster than we have the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you are, you have to embrace it. You have to stay with it, and I think that, uh, you know, when, when and I, I think it was Coach Meyer, not that you know who that is, but mm-hmm. uh, Coach Meyer... Uh, said something, you know, when I walk into a gym and I watch your team practice within about 10 or 15 minutes, I should be able to figure out what your team is, what mm-hmm. the, what the identity of your team is. And and one of the best compliments I ever got was with, with one of my teams where, uh, I had, I, I asked one of my coaching friends to come in that was not coaching with the team that year, come in, watch our practice. Tell me what you see, mm-hmm. you know, come in, sit down in the corner. I'm not going to say anything to you the entire time. I'm not going to just Tell me what you see and what can we, and and the first thing that this coach told me was, uh, I could tell your team is tough. I can tell, you know, you really emphasize defensive transition, that you really emphasize half court defense and, you know, that, and I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, good. Then we have an identity when a random stranger, and obviously with the Pistons, it wouldn't take you long. If you, if you came in on a, on a spaceship from Mm -hmm. Mars and you watch the Pistons play for 15 minutes. It wouldn't take you long to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and I think that it's important for for coaches, um, and, and I think the greatest thing about the Pistons, historically, mm-hmm. that the sum was better than the parts. You know, you take a look. Mm-hmm. You know, Dennis Rodman was a very nice NBA player. You know, Bill Beer was a nice NBA player. Mark Aguirre was a good NBA player. Isaiah Thomas was a great NBA player. I mean, mm-hmm. all-time great. You know, Joe Dumars was a very nice NBA player. But n- none of those guys were making, like, 10 All-Star games other than Isaiah, you mm-hmm. know. and But they came together and in, in a way that they created a great team. And, and that the, the sum of those pieces were better than the parts themselves. You put mm-hmm. Joe, Obviously, you put Joe Dumars on an island by himself – Without those guys, the Pistons weren't very good for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Rodman by himself was average. You know, John Sally never achieved the the heights that he uh, had as an individual player later on in his career mm-hmm. without being on the Pistons. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, especially, uh, again, as, as coaches, as we listen to this, you know, obviously you need one or two really great pieces to be successful. But everything around them doesn't need to be awesome. They just need to be the right pieces. Mm-hmm. And the sum needs to be better than the parts. Yeah. yeah. Um, how hyped, as the kids say these days, <laughs> how motivated are you to watch some basketball after watching the bad boys from A to F? To play basketball or to watch basketball? Well, for you to be watch basketball. Um, well, I would say like... Maybe like a B. Okay. Because 
I don't know, I like watching, uh, like, documentaries about older basketball teams because you understand their legacy from the present perspective. Uh-huh. But watching basketball now, I don't know, maybe like a B. I think okay. I'm more motivated to play basketball. Okay. Because it doesn't take much to motivate me to play basketball. <laughs> okay. Because... Um, I don't know, but I put an A for to play basketball. I put an A. Okay. Because okay. it's just like you're gonna grab your basketball, go down to the uh, to the court a couple blocks away, mm-hmm. maybe play some pickup. Yeah. Make some extra money for vacation here. Yeah, I you know? think they'd be amazed with my talents. Yes, I'm, I'm sure they would be. Yeah. How high is your vertical? I don't know, maybe like three inches. <laughs> Could you jump? Could you jump over the Omaha phone book? I could sure dang try. <laughs> uh, who was the MVP? I had, I had three MVPs. Okay. Even though you can't really do that. I had two. Well, I have. And you're, I think you're going to be surprised with my MVP. Really? But I'm, I'm, I'm hear what you say. I have three of them, and it's basically all of them for the same reason. Okay. I have Bill and Beer, Isaiah Thomas, and Dennis Rodman. Um. Basically, I put their competitiveness, their toughness, both mental and physical, um, their leadership and what they're able to do on the court and embracing that. Like Isaiah Thomas, the leader of the Pistons, as some could mm-hmm. say. Bill Beer as like the leader of that mental game against other other teams. And Dennis Rodman like, as a defensive leader. Mm-hmm. And then basically for all of them, overall, just their passion, like their passion to win and their passion to persevere and their passion to just, I don't know if you want to say play the game the best that they can because, you know. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but yeah, to the passion to do what they had to do to achieve success. Gotcha, gotcha. I had, now on the floor, with the team itself, obviously, I, I think the obvious MVP is Isaiah. I mean, that mm-hmm. goes without saying. But there's there's two guys that we haven't talked very much about that I think are really, really important to the overall theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Daly mm-hmm. and Jack McCloskey, the, the general manager. Mm. Um, you know, they said it at the end of the... At the end of the documentary, uh, uh, talk about McCloskey first. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was known as Trader Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, you only have at that time you only had twelve guys on an NBA roster. Now I think you have like seventeen yeah. uh, uh, because you have two, two what they call two way guys. They play in the G League, and then you have like three guys that are that practice with the team, but they're they don't suit up, and you suit up twelve guys every game. It's mm-hmm. something like that. I forget yeah. the exact rule. Here you only had twelve guys. That was it. There mm-hmm. were twelve guys, um, and. In 10 years, to build this championship team, he made 38 trades in 10 years mm-hmm. to, to build this team. And so it was every piece was intended to add one more piece. And again, it wasn't this you know, piece to jump from here to here. It was here to here, and it was baby steps along mm-hmm. the way. Um, if, you, if you ever, and I have this book at school, so if you want to borrow this book and read about 400 pages about the the bad boys. Uh, one of the best basketball books that I've ever read. It's called The Franchise, written by a guy named Cameron Stout. S-T-A-U-T-H. And and it goes through minute detail of the, the building of the Pistons. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's this documentary, but it's in book form. It's 400 pages long. Okay. okay. Um, 
and 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 so I think he's kind of an underrated aspect of yes he again kind of going back to what I said earlier the sum is greater than the parts and they mm-hmm. had this centerpiece in Isaiah but uh, everything else uh, you know Trader Jack kind of put together and fit so mm-hmm. uh, the other one like I said Chuck Daly uh, Chuck Daly took all these egos uh, brought them together. Uh, in some ways, I think some of the traps that we fall into as coaches is we try to overcoach sometimes. Uh, Chuck Daly didn't try to overcoach the team. He he overcoached roles. He overcoached role acceptance. He overcoached chemistry. He always put chemistry ahead of on-court production. Um, that's why, for example, they moved Rodman into the starting lineup ahead of Aguirre. That's why they traded Adrian Dantley, mm-hmm. you know, so forth and so on. And... Um, I really believe that he is an an underrated part of this story. He he told these guys to embrace who they were. He didn't he didn't try to um, not let them be who they were. You know, mm-hmm. he let Lame Beer be Lame Beer. He let Rodman be Rodman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he let John Sally be John Sally. And um, it's kind of easy. It, it's you know, in, in some ways. Uh, today, to kind of give you a modern example, uh, it's like Steve Kerr coaching Draymond Green. And Draymond, from the outside looking in, is a pain in the tuchus. And we're not supposed to swear mm-hmm. on this podcast, or it's my self-imposed mm-hmm. rule to not swear on the podcast. But Draymond can be a pain. But, but Steve Kerr recognizes that I've got to put up with these little blips in the radar to get the most out of it. And I think Chuck Daly was kind of the first to the first modern coach to really see that that no not everybody is going to now uh, not everybody is going to 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 walk in a unified beat but as long as your responsibility as long as your efforts are put towards the interests of the team first we're willing to put up with a little bit of that stuff along the way mm-hmm. yeah. so okay um your overall grade so so with with that um with that being with, with the last dance, mm-hmm. are we in agreement that the last dance is is like the creme de la creme, the Godfather yeah, I, of 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 basketball documentaries? This is the A plus of the A pluses of the A pluses. Are, are we in agreement there? Yeah. So that's our that's our scale. Okay. That's okay. That's our scale. What grade do you give the Bad Boys documentary? Well, what's F? F oh F is I don't know. Airbud. Airbud. Jeez. What's that? The dog father? The dog father? But a basketball version of the dog father. Okay, that's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, that's that's an F. Well, that's that's the lowest of the low. Yes, yes. How is it low? I think I would probably give it an A. Okay. Because, like, usually when you watch sports documentaries, it's like we did this on the court and this happened on the court and obviously that's a huge aspect of any sports documentary but the thing that I like about the bad boys is that not only does it talk about like their talent on the court but it also talks about like the inter like intertwining like team storylines yeah where Mm -hmm. it's like um you know, they were given this image, and they fought it for a while, and then they embraced it, and they went through these things, and 
basically, it wasn't just about how talented they were at basketball. It was, like, how they are as people and what they have gone through both before basketball and during basketball uh-huh. and how all that together as a person uh-huh. m- can make them a better player and therefore a better team. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would give it an A-. minus. I really liked it. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's on the list, so I must have mm-hmm. liked it some. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great study of team team mm-hmm. building I, and and as a coach uh that's one of the reasons why i love to coach is to to build a team to take this part and this part and this part and this part and make it a cohesive part and i think mm-hmm. as i get older um you know i was about your age when the pistons were wrapping up their big run um and um you know as i've grown older as i've grown as a basketball coach I, I don't I don't necessarily like the Pistons of this era, mm-hmm. but I very much understand them and respect the hell out of them yeah. for for what they did and and the way that they had to fight through a lot of different things going through these two great franchises of the Lakers and the Celtics, mm-hmm. fending off Jordan and the Bulls, um, being okay with embracing who they were as a team or what they became as a team. Mm-hmm. I don't think they set out to be that way, but that's that's who they became. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I really, uh, like I said, I really respect the team. I really respect what these players and these coaches accomplished during this era, and I think it's a, a great lesson to be learned for all coaches at every level of, like we've talked about, perseverance, team building, role mm-hmm. acceptance, and, and and making the sum better than the parts. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's it. How how do you feel? You you have you have you have finished your first podcast podcast, excuse me, experience. It's it's weird. I mean, I never imagined myself to be on a podcast one day. Maybe it's the first of many. It could be the first of many. It could be the first of many. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, if the film room season 1 goes well maybe i'll bring you back for the film room season two for another basketball documentary you could do last dance oh that's a lot to handle that's a that's a lot that's a big matzo ball there Mm -hmm. georgie plus plus casey and i broke down the last dance before Mm. so you know l i guess l yeah yeah but you did okay yeah i think so okay i don't know how your coaches are gonna enjoy my lack of basketball knowledge no i think you did fine thank you i think you did fine so ready for vacation yep yeah ready for college no no neither am i i'm not ready for you to go to college (sighs) i'm like stressed about it yeah you're gonna do great i hope so i i don't hope so i know you are (laughs) i love you and i'm very proud of you i love you too and i'm glad you came on here today with me so it was fun all right so uh that is it uh Episode two, the bad boys mm-hmm. of of the the film room, uh, with my smart, beautiful, uh, wonderful daughter Genevieve Constance Plum, who is oh, heading to college government here. Government name, huh? Yeah, uh, who's heading to college here in mm-hmm. less than two weeks. And so, if if I'm if I'm half the man that I usually am on these podcasts over the next few weeks, it is because. 
Um, I don't have any of my children living at home with me, <laughs> and I will just be crying uh, day in and day out. So, but no, I, I hope I hope folks have enjoyed this session of the film room and enjoyed this uh, retrospective on Thirty for Thirty. Look back.